Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's Friday, August 26th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. NASA's Artemis program, which will return people to the surface of the moon, will have a big test on Monday. We will see a launch of the new moon rocket called the Space Launch System. It will send an uncrewed Orion capsule around the moon and back, and eventually take people up to the moon surface in 2025. Miriam Kramer, space reporter at Axios, joins us to discuss if NASA's old way of space exploration will stand up in the modern space age. Next, the fall COVID-19 booster campaign will soon be upon us, and how well the new Omicron-specific boosters will work may depend on a phenomenon called original antigenic sin. Since people have been infected, vaccinated, and boosted, people's immune systems are in different playing fields, and your first exposure may play a bigger part in future immune responses. Carolyn Johnson, science reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for what to know. Finally, everyone wants the opportunity to achieve that perfect work-life balance, and remote work is a big factor, but would you take a pay cut for it? Some employers are currently debating whether remote work can be classified as a perk or benefit and pocket the savings by reducing salaries for people working from home. Don Lee, economics reporter at the LA Times, joins us for how you may soon be asked to take a pay cut to keep working from home. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We got to have a successful flight before we put the astronauts on the next mission. Otherwise, you're not putting astronauts on the next mission. It's going to be very different. And, uh, you know, uh, you you hear the pucker factor. It'll be there. Joining us now is Miriam Kramer, space reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Miriam. Thanks for having me. Well, we got some good space news coming up pretty soon. We're looking at NASA's Artemis program. This is going to be the big return to the surface of the moon for uh, the United States. This is going to be the first time since the 70s. It's going to be a big test of whether NASA's old ways of exploration and, and building these rockets and everything, if it'll stand up to this modern space age right now. The thing to watch out for will be uh, Monday, August 29th. This is going to be a launch of the SLS rocket. Uh, It's going to fly around the moon and then come back. And then hopefully in 2025, we'll send people onto the moon. So what do we know about this uh, upcoming launch? So it's a pretty exciting moment. This is the first launch of the SLS. So basically, NASA is going to be testing how this rocket works. Hopefully, it'll perform flawlessly. And they're integrating it with the Orion capsule, which has flown to space before, but this is the first time that the two systems are going to fly at the same time. And there is necessary to actually get people back to the surface of the moon, like you said, by around 2025. 
the SLS stands for Space Launch System. Is there something different about this? How does this new system work? And, and the reason why I ask this is because the big question swirling around this is it's billions of dollars over budget. It's behind schedule by years. But a lot of people are saying, well, you know, we talk about private, we talk about public operations and people saying, you know, this is uh, it's more expensive, but it's worth it. We've got to know it works and it's reliable doing it kind of the old ways, the NASA way. So uh, how does this whole thing work? Yeah, I mean, so this this really is sort of a test of that old way and whether it can stand up to sort of the new paradigm in space, which centers around public and private partnerships. So NASA has always contracted with other companies to get their rockets built, like the Saturn V was built through contractors. But they've had a very hands-on approach in the past to exactly what kind of standards they want a rocket built toward. They've had very specific ideas about how that should look and how it should work, which is what they've done with the SLS. The SLS is very much sort of built in that old style of going to legacy aerospace companies and saying, we want these kinds of things. We want them on this sort of deadline. And sometimes there are cost overruns, and that's just kind of the trade-off for doing business. Like what these legacy aerospace companies do is they trade cost savings basically for reliability. So something that can fly multiple times, that can do a lot of work like that, and are built to NASA's standard. Whereas with a public-private partnership where NASA goes to a company like SpaceX, awards them a fixed-price contract, and then that company is able to kind of use whatever they build for their own devices as well. Whereas with the SLS, it's really a NASA-focused rocket. One of the stories I had seen was even like the new spacesuits that they were developing were behind schedule. They obviously cost a lot of money. But what are we so behind with right now in this program? Well, I mean, it's sort of a, a number of things. Like the SLS was first ordered by Congress in 2010. And sort of since then, there have been budget shortfalls, there have been technical delays, and just general cost overruns, like the kind of bloat that happens when you're working in a big government program like this. And you're so focused on reliability, and maybe cost savings doesn't really come to factor into it. But the interesting thing is that Congress has always funded the SLS. It's never been zeroed out in a budget. It's always had support and bipartisan support that has stretched across administrations. So clearly there's something in this program that is popular politically, at least among politicians. You know, it's funny, I've been watching the show on Apple Plus called For All Mankind, which is kind of a take on uh, the space program. You know, what if Russia got to the moon first before the U.S.? But really, in this whole story, the space program never stopped and they kept pushing forward. And, you know, you just can't help but wonder how far we'd be is if, if something like that really happened. If the space program kept going and going in the TV show, they're already on Mars and, and all this other stuff. And, you know, we're so far behind on that right now. You know, we're barely getting back to the moon. We're looking for ways to get to Mars finally. There's so much going on on this. And, and um, as you mentioned, you know, these private companies are going to be a big player in a lot of that stuff. We're looking at SpaceX a lot. You know, they're ahead of the field from all the other ones right now. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. I mean, for all mankind, what they make, they, I think they make it to Mars in like the 90s or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, so really exactly. exciting. And I love that show. It's like a fun and exciting view of, you know, what might have been, I suppose. Right. But the truth is, like, Space is kind of a political slog in a lot of ways. Like NASA relies on money from Congress to do its work. <laughs> um, and right now, part of what's so exciting about a company like SpaceX is sort of like you said, like they have their own internally motivated driving factors for why they're doing what they're doing. I mean, Elon Musk wants to settle Mars. 
So it's an interesting moment to kind of see all of this happening at once. Like at one hand, you sort of have the split screen of the SLS and of SpaceX's Starship, which is supposed to send people to Mars at some point in the undefined future. But it's a pretty interesting moment to watch it all happen. It's funny. It's like, I also understand why people are, are kind of down on it because, you know, we're going back somewhere that we've already been, but right. I don't remember the moon. <laughs> I, I was yeah. alive yeah. the last time we were, we were on the moon. So I think there is a lot to be excited about here. And the last thing I'll say is also, if you look at something like the JWST, that was years behind schedule and billions of dollars over budget. And it works flawlessly. Yeah. Like we're, it works amazingly well. Amazing so, pictures from it. Yeah. Exactly. And so if you if you look at that and you look at the SLS, I wonder if if, if it works well, I wonder if anyone's going to, aside from the space reporters, <laughs> I wonder if anyone's going to remember how over budget it was. Right. Miriam Kramer, space reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Always fun. Given how much infection there is, given that that extra layer of protection that the second booster offers, uh, that there's no reason to wait. People should go out and get that second shot. And we'll see where things are in the fall. And if people need additional, we'll manage it at that point. Joining us now is Carolyn Johnson, science reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Carolyn. Thanks for having me. Well, we're gearing up for the fall COVID-19 booster campaign. Now, what's going to happen, what's going to be different with this, these boosters is that they're geared specifically to the Omicron subvariants BA4 and BA5. They were hoping that since those are the dominant strains going on right now, it'll, it'll provide better protection for people. But an interesting thing uh, that you wrote about, a concept called original antigen sin. Now, this is about uh, basically how well will these new boosters work It all really kind of depending on what you've been infected with before the original coronavirus variant uh you know if you've never had it and you've just been on vaccinations and boosters you know there's a lot that works uh, a lot of questions that go into how we'll react to these new boosters so carolyn tell us a little bit more about this so when things started out in, in uh 2020 you know, everyone was kind of on a, a level playing field. No one had seen this virus before. And so we were all kind of just susceptible to it. And like you said, two and a half years into it, people have been vaccinated. They've been infected. They've had different variants and they might have had different schedules of vaccinations. Maybe they got boosted once, maybe none, none times. You know, it's it's all over the map. And that like sort of texture of prior immunity is going to affect how well you respond to your next shot or, or at least influence it. And there's a huge scientific debate going on about what is the best way to protect people going forward. And part of that is this notion, original antigenic sin, which has such an evocative name. Yeah, um, exactly. And that comes, <laughs> it comes from, it was first observed and it sometimes is called first flu is forever, which means like the first time you get infected by flu when you're a little mm -hmm. kid, that shapes and biases your whole mm -hmm. response to flu throughout your life. So you're always kind of like your primary flu response is driven by that first infection. That doesn't mean there is no utility to, on the contrary, to like getting boosters or that you don't, you're defenseless to the next thing you get infected with if it's a different strain. But it's just, it adds to the kind of like complexity of how things work. And it also just, I think, is a reality check on expectations. Early on, we were so lucky to have 
super effective vaccines that were a 100% match to the virus that was circulating. And that provided really good protection. You know, the virus has evolved and that's all changed. We're never going to have that scenario again. So the idea like a new booster will arrive and the pandemic will be completely over. I mean, the pandemic may be over, but the virus won't go away. It's a it's a cool, weird immunological concept that's getting like kind of talked about in the public in a way that is not normal. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it has a great name, original antigenic sin. And so the, there's two sides of the debate on that, right? So is it even worth it, right? I mean, uh, depending on which strain you might have gotten, it's going to the immune response is going to gear up towards that. How beneficial will the new boosters be? The other side of it is, will our bodies create the new memories for these new strains? If you've had BA4, BA5, you know, that's kind of your basis uh, or the boosters are going to, you know, help you make the memories, your memory cells to fight those off. And that's an important thing because that could very well happen with a series of boosters, uh, you know, or as people constantly keep getting infected, we'll just kind of constantly shore up the protection to all of these variants as we keep going. Basically, even if you encounter a virus, it's pretty different than the first one you you got infected with or vaccinated against, which is what's been happening with our Omicron infections. It's a different, it's pretty different virus. So even if you see a kind of a new virus related, your body can kind of take advantage of these memories that it's created. They're not a perfect match to the new virus. There are many places that the, you know, these antibodies that are kind of the front line of defense can still attach on. So maybe it's not completely blocking the virus as well, which is why many people may be still be getting infected um, and still having symptoms, but still giving you that layer of defense that's on just a fast recall. So that's the good part about it that like kind of, you know, the word sin leads you to think it's all bad. But <laughs> right. right now what we're seeing is that even though the first iteration of the vaccine is not a very good match to the Omicron variants that are now circulating, they're still keeping people, you know, from the worst outcomes fairly well. And the idea of incorporating the newer variants into the booster is, and we're just beginning to see the evidence. So it's, everything is really happening in real time. But the idea, the hope, and some of the early evidence is that if you give it this booster, it broadens that immune response in the right direction. So we don't know what the next variant is going to be after BA5 that will become dominant, but it looks as if you get your immune response kind of broader, not narrower, if you use these newer variants yeah. as a booster. So we're all like still living through this <laughs> pandemic. It feels like it's For been sure. forever, but honestly, they've had decades of experience with flu and <laughs> it's still an imperfect process. So we're we're just kind of living through this interesting moment where we are learning. Carolyn Johnson, science reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Some surveys found that for those workers who have been called back to the office, if they're not coming in, as many days as required, then their employers are actually lowering their wages or bonuses. Joining us now is Don Lee, economics reporter at the LA Times. Thanks for joining us, Don. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about remote work. I mean, right now it's kind of the holy grail of working situations, especially as the pandemic is kind of easing right now. There's a lot of employers that are starting to call people back to work. So a lot of times you're not getting that full remote experience anymore. It could be a hybrid thing or all back to the office. But right now what we're starting to see is a, a big debate on how to move forward with this because there are still a lot of companies that are going forward with this, allowing their workers to work from home. But they're saying maybe, you know, since it's such a good perk, such a big benefit, maybe we'll make you take a pay cut for the option of working from home. So Don, what are we seeing with this? Well, you're right that employers are calling workers back. And right now, about 30% of people are working on a hybrid basis, mainly two to three days at home and the rest of the time in the office. And then about 15% of the remote workers are working full-time at home. And so one of the things that was interesting is that some surveys found that for those workers who have been called back to the office, if they're not coming in as many days as required, then their employers are actually lowering their wages or bonuses. So that's one form of already where there is a kind of monetary value attached to remote working. And this is one aspect of it. We already know that some companies, if a teleworker moves to a lower cost area, then their pay is going to be cut because the assumption is, well, you're you know, working in a place where living costs are lower, and so you can get paid less. Right. And yeah. then I think okay. you have where some are now starting to think about, well, is this a perk where it's worth something and employers can take a pay cut? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting conversation because there are some savings happening and it's happening happening on both sides, right? For the employee, you know, you're eliminating a commute. You made mention here in the article, clothing, right? You don't have to really worry about dressing up just to stay at home. Just the work-life balance, the time you can devote more to family and things and personal things, there's a big benefit there. And on the flip side for employers, you know, if they're reducing the footprint of their company, uh, you know, maybe you can reduce back on some rent, office stuff. Uh, you know, there's a lot of benefits on both sides. And the question is, you know, so who gets to reap those benefits? And so this uh, pay decreases could be part of that conversation now. Yeah, I, th I think so. Because, you know, this is an extra pie, if you will, that came out of the pandemic as more people began to work at home. That many employers found out that productivity did not go away, was not lowered. In fact, productivity uh, for some, for many, actually went up. And that was one of the biggest benefits for companies. And of course, as you mentioned, workers are enjoying very tangible benefits that are saving for many hundreds of dollars a month. 
And there are potentially even more savings for some who would like to move to cheaper places, to bigger places, and continue to work uh, remotely. But it remains to be seen whether they're going to be able to do that without incurring some kind of cost. Because right now, employees get the lion's share of the money that's really saved from teleworking. And if companies want to get a bigger piece of that pie, well, then that's going to be part of the negotiations, you know, for people's compensation. And you spoke to a number of people also about how they feel about this. It did seem like maybe they didn't think it was right or that it should happen, but it did seem like a lot of people would be willing to take that pay cut if they could be fully remote. That's right. And I think that was one of the interesting and perhaps uh, most surprising things that I found after talking with several employees who were teleworking. And they all pretty much said that they would accept some trade-offs in terms of accepting, uh, willing to accept a lower pay if they had to in order to continue to uh, work from home. And uh, of course, up to a point, uh, some said, well, maybe it's worth a few percentage points my income, but I think they all see the value in that and they uh, are you know, willing to make those trade-offs. And so yeah. if the employers understand that, then it's really, uh, you know, for some, they may take advantage of that. Yeah. Right now, right, you know, with the economy being still quite strong on the labor side, the workers have a lot of leverage. So employers, I think, are very cautious and are unwilling really to push this too much because then yeah. you know people will go to another company. Don Lee, economics reporter at the LA Times. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks again. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.